This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Welcome to Viewpoint. I am Chuck Chrismeyer. And today we are going to take a fascinating look at not only history, but prophecy. And we're going to see it played out in ways that perhaps very few have considered. Let me begin with this. It's an article that appeared on March 1998 in Kruzel, Germany. Here's the title. Vatican plans to establish Jerusalem as the capital of the world. Yes, you heard that correctly. Vatican plans to establish Jerusalem as the capital of the world. Here's the excerpt from the article. According to the will of the Vatican, Jerusalem could become the capital of the world. The one-sided claim by Israel does not justify the equality of Muslims and Christians and their claim to the holy city, according to the secretary of the cardinals, Angelo Sudano. In a press release, the Pope invited all people to create conditions in which Jerusalem should fulfill its calling as a city of peace to the honor of God. The Vatican is willing to supply the finances for such an undertaking. According to Catholic dogma, Jerusalem is the most important city universally for the 900 million Catholics on planet Earth. Not the Vatican, not Rome, but Jerusalem. Breathtaking, isn't it? Both in boldness and in breath, yet the truth and trajectory of this long-sought Vatican triumph is revealed in the increasingly transparent diplomatic actions that are no longer shrouded in mystery, but seem to be glorified in a proposed mission of peace on this planet. Today, we unveil this purported mission and where it's going and why it's important. Holy sites is not adequately resolved. The part of Jerusalem within the walls, Old Jerusalem, Biblical Jerusalem, with the holy sites of three religions is humanity's heritage. The sacred and unique character of the area must be safeguarded. It can only be done with a special internationally guaranteed statute. Well, who is supposed to govern that? Well, the Vatican, of course. A major voice for the Vatican's plan is Hannah Signora, the elder statesman, of Palestinian peace activists whose office is in the Vatican's Tantur Institute for Ecumenical Studies in Jerusalem. The site, known as King David's Tomb, is the major target of the Vatican's plan. The Vatican wants Israel relinquishing sovereignty at the Western Wall and the Temple Mount. The Holy See uses the expression Holy Basin, which refers to the area of the Temple Mount, the Mount of Olives,
Pope on the seat of ultimate global religious and political power for universal rule of the Roman Catholic Church through the political chicanery of the Vatican. And that epic effort is almost complete. On December 15, 2011, the world was presented with a group Wow. What does that mean to you? Why would that be the case? We want to talk a bit about that, explore that here today on Viewpoint, because it's critically important. Now, the purpose in doing this program today is not to castigate or mock or in any way disparage uh, people who are listening to this program who happen to have grown up Catholic or who happen to still be Catholic. Because, quite frankly, there is a serious disconnect between the church itself and the Vatican. The Vatican is the smallest geopolitical state in the world. It's a geopolitical state. It's not a religious state. So, therefore, the Vatican actually is the ultimate merger of church and state with the Pope heading supposedly both over the church and over the Vatican. I have in front of me a picture of the Vatican's coat of arms, the coat of arms for the Vatican city-state. At the top is a triple crown tiara, the kind of tiara that not only represents papal authority, but also represents, dare we say, the heritage of that kind of authority going back all the way to pagan rulers. Then, underneath the papal crown is are two keys that are crossed over each other. Two keys. What do those keys represent? They represent the keys of the kingdom of God. The declaration for this symbol, this coat of arms, is Vatican City and purportedly but is also the one who holds the keys of the kingdom. Not Jesus, but the Pope. Let that sink in for just a moment. It has been said the Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not mere man, but as it were God and the vicar of God. In other words, the replacement for God. Hence, the Pope is crowned with a triple crown as king of heaven and of earth and of the lower regions. King of heaven, king of earth, and
both earthly and heavenly kingdoms. What is the implication of that? What are the, what is the meaning of that? You may not even have known this. But what does it mean? What are its implications for now? When receiving the tiara adorned with three crowns symbolizes that you are father of princes and kings, ruler of the world, vicar of our Savior Jesus Christ. What does all that mean? Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity... and biblical prophecy. Some of the things that we share with you here today may be rather shocking to you. But we're taking them under definite authority because these are not things that actually do not exist, but actually are part of history. The history of the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican. So why is the Vatican demanding the Temple Mount be under the Pope? What does the Temple Mount represent? Well, the Temple Mount represents the consummate expression of power of the Lord that which cost me nothing. So he paid for it. David paid for the Temple Mount. Then it is also the place where Christ himself was crucified, just off the Temple Mount. It's the place that Jesus himself said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This is, dare we say, the holiest of holy sites in the world. It represents to the leaders of our world the consummate merger of sex, uh, sex, of uh, secular and spiritual, of church and state. The Israel government and Vatican have been deadlocked in discussion over whether or not they would allow the Vatican to have dominion over the Temple Mount. Vatican officials, as of the time when I wrote the book, King of the Mountain, were reiterating their demand for control of the religious sites of the ancient and holy city founded by King David and the capital of ancient Israel, and now the capital of the reestablished Jewish state.
the Roman Catholic Church's authorities and increased their political initiatives for Catholic control. just promoted an appeal to the European Union and the United States to stop what he called the Hebraization of Jerusalem. In other words, that Jerusalem should be Jewish. Now that takes some kind of chutzpah, doesn't it? But when the Pope is concerned, chutzpah doesn't seem to register, and we'll see why. A lamentation went forth throughout Israel and around the world in April of 2009. Arut Sheva Israel National News contained the story, Israel's control of Mount Zion in danger. Christ in a final bid as vicar of Christ to declare himself Prince of Peace and the surrogate savior of the world in promulgating a new global order of the ages? Will the papacy become nothing but a pompous carnal subterfuge to deceive and enslave unsuspecting billions in a false hope securing a disastrous eternal destiny? What we're talking about here is something of something of exceedingly great moment. Exceedingly great moment. So before we go back and take a further look at what's developing between the papacy and the Vatican and Israel, let's take a further look at the history of the papacy. If we were to go back to uh, the early days, the development of the papal power can be briefly summarized as the first great step taking place under Pope Damasus uh, back in 366 to 384 A.D., that is. He obtained from the Emperor Valentinian I the right of all bishops in the western part of the empire who were condemned by the provincial synod to appeal to the Bishop of Rome. The Bishop of Rome. There's the term, the Bishop of Rome. And so the term Bishop of Rome became a very big deal. A very big deal indeed. So great did that become that Pope Gregory the Great renounced the title Universal Pope. Pope Gregory the Great renounced the title Universal Pope. Why did he renounce that title? Would you like to know why? Because Pope Gregory the Great declared the title Universal Priest to be Antichrist. The Pope declared the title to be Antichrist. 
the use of the title universal bishop. Hmm. Here's what he said. Whosoever calls himself or desires to be called universal priest is in his elation the precursor of Antichrist because he proudly puts himself above all others. That perverse one wishes to appear as God above all men, so whosoever this one is who covets being called soul priest, he extols himself above all other priests. So... Pope Gregory the Great condemned the titles of universal patriarch, universal pope, universal bishop, and universal priest. What he saw was that there was such pomposity that it was satanic or antichrist in its nature. Interestingly, Pope Boniface III, a mere three years after the death of Gregory, petitioned Emperor Focus to declare the Roman See the head of all Christian churches and the title Universal Bishop would apply exclusively to the Bishop of Rome. And the request was granted. And, as a result, a grateful Boniface III erected a gilded statue of himself in Rome, proclaiming his greatness. Are you beginning to get the picture? Pope Gregory VII also declared the papal claim has been maintained or embellished on by every subsequent pope, eventually leading to the declaration of papal infallibility. Did you know that the popes did not always claim to be infallible? I thought that the Pope represented Christ, and Christ was the Son of God, and God says, I change not. But when it comes to the papacy, change is in order, it evolves. that it is lawful for him to depose emperors, in other words, he rules the world, that his sentence ought not to be reviewed by anyone, and he alone can review the decisions of all. In other words, he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He is God. That he ought to be judged by no one. That the Roman Church never erred, nor will it, according to Scripture, ever err even though the Pope keeps changing his mind and having more and more dogmas and edicts and whatever other terms that are used.
Just as the founder of the universe established two great lights in the firmament of heaven, he said, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, so too he set two great dignities in the firmament of the universal church. The greater one to rule the day, that is, souls, and the lesser to rule the night, that is, bodies. These dignities are in the papal authority and the royal power, merged together in one. Now, just as the moon derives its light from the sun and is indeed lower than it in quantity and quality, in position and in power, so too the royal power derives the splendor of its dignity from the pontifical authority. In other words, the pontiff, which is a shortened form of Pontifus Maximus, which is the term that was used to describe the Roman emperors claiming to be God, was shifted to the papal bishop of Rome, who ultimately became known as the Pope, Papa, Papacy, Pontifical Order, or Pontifus Maximus. And we're not through. Boniface the seventh, the eighth, Pope Boniface the eighth said, "I am Caesar." In other words, I am the secular ruler of the world. The papal theory made the Pope alone God's representative on earth, and maintained that the emperor received his right to rule from Saint Peter's successor. It was held up by Nicholas I, Hildebrand, Alexander III, Innocent III, and culminated with Boniface VIII at the Jubilee of A.D. 1300 when, seated on the throne of Constantine, girded with the imperial sword, wearing a crown and waving a scepter, he shouted to the throng of loyal pilgrims, I am Caesar, I am Emperor. Now, it causes me to think back at the time when Jesus was crucified and the religious leaders of the day, when asked by the crusty Roman governor Pontius Pilate, shall I crucify your king? The religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, and all the people that they choreographed together to cry out, we have no king but Caesar. The world is going to get Caesar again, my friends. And the Caesar that the world gets again is going to be the ultimate expression of the merger of church and state. And will claim ultimate authority over the earth. Are you beginning to get the picture? So when the Vatican now is claiming authority over all of the uh, premier Christian sites in Israel, does it not show you how this trajectory is headed rapidly? How the Pope himself will rule from the Temple Mount? That's the goal. 
There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea... live and archive Save America Ministries website at saveus.org Welcome back to Viewpoint Today we're taking a look at the relationship between the geopolitics of our world what's happening particularly in Israel with regard to the Temple Mount uh, It's not just a matter of the Arabs or Muslims it's a matter of the papacy seeking ultimate and, and uh, control over the Temple Mount. On February 1st, 2013, Israel National News announced exclusive, a seat for the Pope at King David's tomb, unquote. But the subtitle was even more telling. Here it is. Israel seems to have sold Jerusalem to the Vatican. Buried. It is the culmination of a long campaign by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has long wanted control over parts of the... It's the eternal capital of the papacy. Wow. Are you beginning to get the picture? What this really is, friends, is the battle for king of the mountain. It's the ultimate merger of church and state, secular and spiritual effort to gain final dominion over the world on the most precious 37 acres on the planet that symbolize to the world the ultimate merger of secular and spiritual power and authority. Does this seem significant to you? 
Let's go back and take a further look at some of the uh, statements and actions of the papacy, the Roman pontiff, who got his title, that's a shortened form of the term Pontifus Maximus, or the Maximum Pontiff. That was the term used to describe the Roman emperors who merged their claim of deity with their claim of secular rulership. When the Roman Empire itself, the secular Roman Empire, began to diminish and the Roman Catholic Church began to gain ascendancy, almost every single aspect of practice and cultural uh, expression of the Roman Empire was transferred to the Bishop of Rome, including the title, Pontifus Maxus, which is shortened to Pontiff, which is shortened yet to Pope or Papal Power. Pope Boniface VIII, in a bull called Unum Sanctum, promulgated November 18, 1302, said, We moreover proclaim, declare, and pronounce that it is altogether necessary to salvation for every human being to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Every human being. In other words, what he's saying is, that the pontiff, that is the pontifus maximus, is the ruler of the world. Not only spiritually, but secularly. The ruler of rulers. But that's not all. Next comes the statement, the decision of the Pope and the decision of God constitute one decision. That is an expression that cannot be concluded any other way than to declare the Pope God or equal to God. Therefore, no one can appeal from the Pope to God, since no one can enter into the consistory of God without the mediation of the Pope. He only is the doorkeeper of eternal life. authority. The Roman pontiff, he said, is the vicar of Jesus Christ, keeper of the keys of the heavenly kingdom, of all regions of the world, and of all the nations and those who dwell in them. That statement was made April 1417 A.D. Next, the same pope Martin V said the Roman pontiff, having fullness of power and privileges over all the churches and monasteries and other religious places of the world, 
the eyes of his providence over the whole world, the nations and all of those who dwell in them. That was June 10th, 1420. In other words, he's saying the Roman pontiff has dominion, rulership over all nations and those that dwell in them. Primacy over the whole world. I'm looking right now at a papal medal, like a coin, issued by Pope Callistus III, who served from 1455 to, to 58 A.D. The reverse side reads this. It's a quote from Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, from the Latin Vulgate, which then, when translated in the Catholic Douay, reads, quote, all kings shall serve him. Shall serve who? Well, the Pope's image is on the other side of the coin. The scripture itself refers to God, but the papal tiered tiara portrays above the cross the symbol of papal authority. That he has authority over all the kings of the earth. Now, what is that implying to you? What is that saying to you? Does it say anything about where we're headed in our world right now? Does it say anything to you why Pope Francis might be currying favor with China and allowing China actually to participate in the selection of so-called bishops of the Roman Church? Does it say anything to you as to why Pope uh, John II traveled to 130 countries? Well, he considered himself the ruler of the world. And how about when he passed and the head... to do obeisance to him. Amid of sea, the sea of scarlet and purple. June, 15, uh, June in 1514, in a speech addressing Pope Julius II in the Fifth Lateran Council said, For you are our shepherd, you are our physician, you are our governor, you are our husbandman, you are finally another God on earth. Anybody listening yet? These things are a matter of history, my friend. The idea of papal infallibility was denied as Catholic dogma before 1870, but not anymore. Apparently it evolved. Pope Pius IX, 
claim to be, quote, the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I alone am the successor of the apostles, the vicar of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let men well understand this, that they may not be deceived or led astray. He declared himself to be the I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In 1826, the recognition of papal jurisdiction declared necessary for salvation was repeated. Relying on the clear testimonies of sacred scripture and adhering to the eloquent and manifest decisions not only of our predecessors, the Roman pontiffs, but also of the general councils, we renew the definition of the ecumenical council of Florence by which all the faithful of Christ must believe that the apostolic see and the Roman pontiff hold primacy over the whole world. Primacy over the whole world. What does that mean to you? We'll be right back. SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church. How are we to understand the historical expressions of papal infallibility and godhood in the context of biblical prophecy and the process over the past generation of the Vatican putting pressure on Israel to make claim to all of the Christian religious sites in Israel, starting in Jerusalem with the Temple Mount. That's the question before us here today on Viewpoint. Let us move further now through history. Pope Pius IX, Pontifex Maximus, the sacred council approving, we teach and define that it is a dogma divinely revealed that the Roman pontiff, when he speaks ex cathedra, by virtue of his supreme apostolic authority, is possessed of that infallibility with which the divine redeemer willed defining doctrine regarding faith or morals. If anyone should presume to contradict this, our definition, 
Let him be anathema. In other words, a heretic. Moving forward. In 1870, the dogma of papal infallibility involves a question of absolute power. It is the direct opposite of the Protestant principle of the absolute supremacy and infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. It establishes a perpetual divine oracle in the Vatican. Every Catholic may hereafter say, I believe, not because Christ or the Bible or the Church, but because the infallible Pope has so declared and commanded. If the dogma is false, it involves a blasphemous assumption and makes the nearest approach to the fulfillment of St. Paul's prophecy of the man of sin, who, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself off that he is God. We move to 1878, the coronation of Pope Leo XIII. The solemn moment had arrived. The Pope ascended the throne while the choir sang. The second deacon removed the mitre from the head of the pontiff, and Cardinal Myrtle approached, bearing the tiara, placing it on the head of the Pope. He said, listen, this is what he said, the triple tiara, receive the tiara adorned with three crowns, and know that you are father of princes and kings, ruler of the world, vicar of our Savior Jesus Christ on earth, to him be the honor and glory forever. Three things, father of princes, king over rulers of the world, and vicar, the replacement of our Savior Jesus Christ on earth. So here is a claim of obedience to Pope, as to God, from Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Uh, but the supreme teacher in the church is the Roman pontiff, and requires complete submission and obedience of will to the church and to the Roman pontiff as to God himself. In other words, the Pope sits as God himself which is tantamount to saying he is God on earth. Pope Leo XIII also said he claimed to hold the place of God on earth. He said, we, the Pope, hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. June 20th, 1894. In his uh, encyclical dated June 29, 1896, Pope Leo XIII stated, The Roman pontiff is God's instrument of salvation. This is our last lesson to you. Receive it, engrave it in your minds, all of you. God's commandment salvation is to be found nowhere in the church the strong and effective instrument of salvation is none other than the Roman pontificate or pope. He is the savior of the world. That's what he said. Pope Pius X. He is Jesus Christ himself 
under the veil of the flesh. It is Jesus Christ who is speaking. Hence, consequently, when one speaks of the Pope, it is not necessary to examine, but just to obey. All must be subject to him who has had all things put under him. You know, the scripture says all is put under Jesus' feet. Now, Pope Pius X says, no, everything is put under my feet. Eighteen ninety-five. You see, we've been moving through history. I'm looking now at a picture of Pope Pius the Tenth wearing the triple tiara. And this question is, why the Pope is the ruler of the world? All the emperors, all the kings, all the princes, all the presidents of the world are as these altar boys of mine. The Pope is the ruler of the world, he declared. The 11th, March 14th, 1922, papal sovereignty claimed over all the people of the world. The hand of God, who guides the course of history, has set down the chair of his vicar on earth in this city of Rome, which from beginning being the capital of the wonderful Roman Empire, was made by him the capital of the whole world. In his encyclopedia called On the Peace of Christ in the Kingdom of Christ, December 23, 1922. The picture, my friends, is should be increasingly clear. Whether you understood it or not, you now do. Because the papacy historically claims to be God in the flesh. Claims to be the voice of God, the only voice of God, the infallible voice of God, and the one who abs- has absolute monarchical rulership over not only the souls of men, but also over all nations of the world. Now, when you read in the book of Daniel that there will be four great empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, Rome was distinctly different than all of the others. Part of iron and part of clay. Many people have had all kinds of ideas about what that means. That there were two legs of Rome. Rome never disappeared, friends. The Roman Empire faded, but by 500 A.D., the Roman Catholic Church had taken over and was the ultimate and consummate expression of Rome and claims to rule the world. 
to this day. December 20th, 1935, Pope Pius XI declares the Roman Catholic priest another Christ. The chair of John, uh, Pope John the Twenty Third, the during the Second Vatican Council, wearing the uh, triple tiara. But I don't have his statement here, and so we'll move from that and go back to the issue of the Vatican's last crusade. You see, there were crusades. They were headed up by the Vatican, headed up by the popes. It's the ultimate battle for King of the Mountain. Under the rubric of diplomacy. Papal power exercised through the state. Finally relents in a desperate gasp for relief. to move into Jerusalem. The final act of man's arrogance to supersede the rule of the Lord of creation in the person of the returning Messiah as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is nearing consummation. I wrote these words in the book, King of the Mountain, the eternal city versus holy city. Will it be Messiah, the Anointed One, the Holy One of Israel, who will rule and reign from God's holy hill, or will it be an imposter? Will it be the vicar of Christ or the victor over death and the grave? Will it be the Pope or will it be God's ordained and eternal high priest? Yeshua HaMashiach, Messiah. It's not just for history to decide this outcome. Each of us, you, me, all of us will decide for ourselves. For God's holy mountain is not found just on the Temple Mount, 
but in the heart of every man, whether Jew or Gentile, whether male or female, whether bond or free, all of us are going to stand before the judge of the earth. Will the judge be the pontiff or God's only eternal potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Yeshua the Christ, our viewpoint, will determine and is determining destiny. I know this is uh, pretty heavy stuff for a lot of people. Unfortunately, the time has come where we need to be clear. I urge you to get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End-Time Battle, for it's said that he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. If the papacy claiming to be God in the flesh sees the Temple Mount as the place from which he must rule the world, it should then tell you that there is a very interesting and unfortunate claim being made by the papacy historically, and that is to be not only equal to God, but God in the flesh. The book, King of the Mountain, it's an $18, $20 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Write to us at Save America Ministry. Call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, King of the Mountain, the eternal epic end-time battle. God bless, and let's humble ourselves before Him. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.